RadioInfluence.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Life in the Fast Lane, hosted by me, your boy, Mr. Black Moses. What's going on, everybody? Hey, listen, I am just getting back from an amazing, exhilarating, exciting weekend from in Austin, Austin, Texas, for the U.S. round of the MotoGP Championship. And I... You know, I talked about it last week. I talked about the things that I had lined up on my schedule, all the events that I was going to be either either hosting or participating in. And I have to tell you, Austin never disappoints. It never does. This weekend was jam-packed with pure moto entertainment. I'm not even going to say edutainment. This was straight up moto entertainment. Everything, everything from uh, the Sport Bikes Inc. MotoGP weekend jump off launch party at the Concrete Cowboy on Friday night to the hand built show to uh, to the race itself. And, and of course, of course, the Red Bull after party. But, you know, the, the race, the race. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was amazing. At this point, if you have not seen the race, you know, spoiler alert. But who saw like, how many times? I'm so excited right now. How many times did Mark Marquez fall over in, in the course of one fall? It was a it was a multiple fall fall. And you know what? My heart goes out to the homie. You know, and if you watch it, uh, if you watch the race and you watch the replays, you'll see what I'm talking about. Your heart has to go out to Mark. It's 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 quite possibly the most epic fall ever <laughs> during during a race because and I can say that because he was okay he got back up and, and he was fine but you know it, he was he was leading the race and it was his race to lose and in amazing stellar fashion he made a mistake and you know he lost he lost the lead and and, lost, and he was out for the race he was out for the race but but he's an amazing competitor shout out shout out to Alex Renz Alex's first first win first GP win and he did it uh, he did it in 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 amazing fashion it was great you know uh, shout out to Valentino Rossi uh, and you know I gotta give props to Suzuki much props to Suzuki because not only did Alex Renz uh, win the GP round the GP race but on the Moto America side shout out to my boy Josh Heron for pulling his first win in his new on his new team uh, Suzuki and 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 pulling the I'm so I'm you can hear it in my voice I'm still excited I'm still I'm, I'm not I have not come down from the rush from the from the proverbial high of the weekend but shout out to uh, Tony Elias for his win so Suzuki. 
had a great had a great weekend. Um, and and it, it and it's and it's great. You know, I think uh, if you haven't watched those races, please go and watch them. Shout out to MotoGP. Shout out to Moto America. Just fantastic racing. Fantastic racing. Please continue to show love and support. Just because uh, you know GP isn't. Uh, you know, had the one stop in the United States, continue to support, continue to support Moto America. Uh, it's just, just great racing. Just great racing. Um, I, and, and that was just part of the weekend. The weekend was full of excitement. Uh, I had so much fun hanging out with my family at Ducati, Ducati Island. Uh, I got to rip around Austin on a, 2019 Diavel 1260S, which was just brilliant, brilliant. Appreciate that. Good looking out uh, to my homies, Jason Chinnick and Alex Franz, my guys over at Ducati. I, I want to talk. Oh, and the hand-built show, the hand-built show, the hand-built show. I talked about it last week. Uh, it oh, man, just some of the most amazing Amazingly built. We talk about custom. The, 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 the landscape has changed for what a custom bike is. Okay. And the hand built show just had some of the most amazing, amazing machines uh, that were built by hand. There you, you know, there you go. That's the namesake of the show. Just beautiful, beautiful motorcycle art. Uh, it just, you know, I love. I love our community. I love our community so much. The global motorcycle community, all the culture and the subcultures and all the genres and disciplines. If, if you're a racer, a rider, a builder, whatever, if you're involved in the motorcycle industry, you should feel very proud of our global family. There's so much excitement that's going on right now. I have to take a moment and give a a, a, a a special salute to a young lady by the name of Nicole Spicoli Pittman. And, and here's why. Here's why. Black Moses is, is giving props. I told you last week that I was, my presence was requested to participate in the celebrity, quote unquote, round of the Super Hooligans TT. This was the Super 73 race. And I've posted the video on my Instagram and my Facebook, my social media platform, so you can go to Mr. Black Moses and, and see the video. But I'm not sure, let's just, I won't give you a play-by-play. -play. The video speaks for itself. But I think it was the third or fourth, I think it was the third lap. The third lap. Now listen, I'm a big man. The Super 73 bikes that we were riding are little bikes. So in true fashion, I'm, I'm pushing 270. 270. So the I'm already at a weight disadvantage. Okay, in my opinion, in my opinion, in this race, I should have been given at least three or four bike links. Okay, I should have been given some type of head start. I'm just saying, okay. So it was, I'm not complaining because it was fun. It was, it was, it was fantastic. But that little bike, 
was I was pedaling and I had the throttle pinned and I was it was just giving me all she could all she could all that props to that to Super Seventy Three because that little bike was doing its best to haul my big ass around that track. So third third lap, it was after the second jump. I'm on the outside getting ready to bring it in and. The wonderful Nicole Spicoli Pittman clips my front wheel. I go down. Black Moses goes down. And I tumble. I tumble at least. Okay, the initial tumbles were maybe two. I tumbled twice. I threw a third and a fourth in there at that point, just for the crowd, just for the crowd. You know, once I knew I was like, I, I, I threw in a couple extra tumbles in there just for the entertainment value of it. I had, I sold it. I sold that tumble, but I went down and I got back up and I was going to get back into the race, but I crashed so epically that they decided to do <laughs> a post crash it wasn't even post crash. I was still pretty much the, the bike was still laying down in the track and they decided to do an interview with me right there. So and I and I did. And then I got by the time I got back on the bike, the, the race was over. Uh, so I did a post race, post crash, post race interview. And, and that's what was published or was posted on social media. And, you know, it was it was. It's I personally, I was highly entertained when I watched it. So please go to uh, on Instagram, Mr. Black Moses, M.R. Black spelled normally, Moses spelled normally. And, <laughs> and check out the video. I, I think that you will be highly entertained. And uh, Spicoli, Spicoli, Nicole Pittman went on to win. She won the race. Which, which was amazing. So she took me out, kept going. And there was about maybe six or seven other competitors. Uh, Morgan Gales was in the race. Sean McDonald, a couple other cool cats were in the race. But yeah, Spicoli took me out and won the race. It was great. That was on Friday. And you know, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's just do the math here. I fell... I went down on Saturday night, Saturday night. That's when my crash occurred. And I fell maybe four times. I tumbled four, maybe five times. Marquez, Mark Marquez races on Sunday. He falls four times. Coincidence? I think not. Welcome to Life in the Fast Lane, y'all. Let's ride. My guest this week is the road test editor at Cycle News Magazine, and he's a competitor at this year's Pikes Peak International Hill Climb, which is happening on June the 30th. Please welcome to Life in the Fast Lane, my boy, Mr. Rennie Skaysbrook. Brother Rennie, are you there? I am, man. How you doing? I am grand. I am grand. How are you? Man, it's uh, it's good to be on the show. Huge fan, stoked. Shut up, shut up. Are you seriously? Hell yeah, man. Yeah, you showed me this podcast what a couple of months ago. Yeah, I've been, I've been hitting it up, dude. Yeah, absolutely. 
do a hell of a job, man. I'm psyched to be on the show. Thank you, man. That means so much, so much. You, Brennan, you know how Black Moses feels about you. True, you know how much love I have for you, right? Yeah, man, we go back. <laughs> we do, we do. We've had some great adventures. We've had some some great times. Um, but let me let me start off the conversation with because we are both getting settled back into the stream of things after MotoGP weekend in Austin, Texas. Are you are are you recovered yet? Uh, well, last night I slept like eleven hours, so maybe that, that and that's about five hours more than I normally sleep. So I, I think that probably answers your question. But true, yeah, I'm, getting, I'm getting back there. Uh, I think I'm sort of back to normal and. And uh, I'm I'm feeling pretty good now, but yeah, it was it was a hell of a weekend. They always are at Austin. <laughs> Did you have a good time? Oh man, always. <laughs> That's what's new big question, right? Man, like Friday night, the Black Moses party, man. That's right. We oh, yeah. listen. You know what's funny? People have been saying to me, "Look, man, people are afraid to do other things, set up other events on Friday night because <laughs> this is what they said. They were like, oh." Black Moses owns Austin, Texas on Friday night. You know, that's that's the party. That's the jump off. And, and it's important for me to put together an event where obviously hearing that, you know, that response, that means that I'm creating we as a community are creating something that annually people are looking forward to and they come out and it puts a smile on my face, even though you see me running around the venue, checking on people and making sure everybody's having a good time. But it really does bring me joy, you know, to see uh, out of all the people that are there, when I see my homies, when I see my people, that makes me smile. That makes me. So thank you for blessing me with your presence. Hey, man, it's my, it's my pleasure. Like, uh, that's uh, that's the kind of party that, you know, it's it's at the start of the week. Uh, everyone's kind of got settled in. So that's when you really see pretty much everyone in the in the industry, because all the other parties are either like. You know, one set of people over here, another set of people over there. Whereas, like Friday night, like the race hasn't happened yet; it's still happening. So, yeah, it's a it's a good one to be at for sure. Good stuff, man. Now, listen, let's let's get into it, okay? Let's get into the meat of it. You know, uh, what you know your your history, your history with motorcycles, and for those listening to Life in the Fast Lane, you might hear a slight a slight ting. In my brother Rennie's voice. Now that's what we call an accent. <laughs> Rennie, where are you from originally? OG, where are you from? Mate, I'm from Sydney, Australia. Wait, pause, pause. See how you listen. See how he hit me with that, mate. <laughs> so come on, mate. come on, mate. So Sydney, Australia, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I moved over to the US uh, when I got offered the job as the road test editor for Cycle News in 2015. So I uh, was doing this job as as a road tester um, or motorcycle journalist, uh, if you will, from kind of about halfway through about 2007. Um, I started out with a magazine called Rapid Bikes, which is no longer around. Um, and then I got the job as basically road test editor for Australian Motorcycle News, which was a pretty big deal for me back then. And uh, and yeah, just kind of went my way up through the ranks and started my own magazine, which was an abysmal failure. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, well, now what was that called? What was that magazine? Uh, that was called Freewheeling. So that was based off... <laughs> Uh, adventure touring uh, and holidays and that kind of stuff. And I think we were 
we were actually pretty on the money as far as the timing, but the execution just wasn't quite there because since I've been back to Australia, about five of these mags have started up, and we would have been the first. We were the first. But oh, wow. Yeah, just um, learn a lot of business lessons, I think, more than anything out of that. And, um, yeah, anyway, so um, I left uh, I left that job in 2015 and it's actually a funny story. Like I, I, I was t- I typed up my letter of resignation um, and was waiting to walk into my boss's office and, and so and then I was just I got onto Twitter and and I never get on Twitter. It, it never like it just doesn't really do it for me. And I was like, ah, oh, screw it. I'll jump on Twitter and have a look. And then, and Paul Carruthers, uh, you know, the legend that is Paul Carruthers, true, uh, ex editor of Cycle News, um, put up a thing saying he was leaving for Motor America. So um, I sent him a message and asked him if he had a freelance work. <laughs> and then ten minutes later, I had a verbal job offer. Um, to move to the U.S. as the road test editor. So I rang up the wife and said, do you want to move to America? And <laughs> she said yes. And so I walked in and I basically threw that letter at the boss and walked <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And, yeah, and, and, and that's that how it happened. You ever see that Simpsons episode where Homer Simpson goes over the bridge and then lights it on fire? That yes. Or like <laughs> oh, you know what? You know what? I, I see you. What's that? The action movie sequence? Where you know the the hero, it, there's a big explosion, and behind the hero, and the hero just calmly, <laughs> coolly, just walking away, never looks back. You know, there's yeah. like you know fire and flames, and the hero is just walking off. So I can kind of see you just tossing in the resignation grenade, <laughs> letting it go off, and you just walking out, just catching yeah, it was, the wind. It was a good feeling. I'll give you that. <laughs> now, what's the? Do you think? It's, it's easy to say motorcycles are motorcycles, but on the business end of it, have you experienced or noted any differences in the, the way the United States, the way North America handles journalism compared to what you came from? Yeah, it's, I mean, they're very different markets. Um, I mean, you look, you look at the States and it's that, that's saying everything is bigger in the US and it absolutely is. And and the thing that I didn't really realize uh, probably for the first year or so when I when I came out here was how many different subcultures and mm. you know, subsectors there are. I mean like you got the you got the Philly crowd down and like yeah. then there's the then there's the you know the Georgia crowd, there's the the south sort of west crowd which i'm sort of hanging around and then you go up to the portland and and all that kind of stuff and the and the custom scene and the there's just the racing scene and the touring scene and there's you know it, it, everything is just expanded yeah. um you know compared to the australia australia has does have a similar thing but mm-hmm. it's you know geographically australia and the us if you laid them over the top of each other they're basically the same size but you know, when they, you, you can only live in 20% of Australia because the rest of it's searing, blazing hot desert. And mm. uh, so the, as a result, all those subcultures are a little bit smaller. Um, and, you know, there's you, just. You know not- what? The subcultures have subcultures. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah but the, the moto journalism thing, um, I think, I think I came here right when there was becoming a bit of a shift. In the whole way, motor journalism was approached. Um, you know, I'm still fairly traditional. I think. I mean, I, I like reading. I like writing, and um, I've become a videographer almost out of necessity. I think. Um, mm. 
you know, I've got a, I've got a really good head for, for radio. I've got an ugly face for TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good, um, it, it was, it, it was good to arrive at that, at that point because it sort of really opened my eyes to all the other things that are going on. And, and uh, I think like the really traditional, the really old school guys uh, within the industry, they really didn't appreciate a lot of the moto vloggers and that kind of stuff. And uh, but I've come to learn that these guys, that everyone has their place. You know, these guys are just bike riders, and they they want to make a dollar out of the industry just the way that I did. And and so there's there's only love there. There's no hate there. So um, yeah, it's it's becoming tougher. Um, I'll, that's. That's for sure. Like yeah, you got to make sure that you're you're fresh and you keep doing interesting stuff and uh, and you know you're always approachable and that kind of stuff. Whereas I think when people were doing just magazines, right. uh, you know, magazines were like they were, those guys were very separate almost to the real scene. Whereas now it's everyone's included in it. And you know, Austin is a perfect example. Like you go to Austin. I mean, just at your party alone. I mean, there was there were the OG journalists from way back in the day and then there was the moto vloggers and then there was the industry guys and all that and that's basically what it is now like it's no longer just moto journalists and everybody else it's we're all this big community now and that you know what that's the key word bro because that the, the key word is community you know and i think you know what you what you touched on is it, you you kind of have to approach it as an open it's as you know you you have to be open minded there's a big Pie. There's a big pie. And I, in my opinion, Black Moses's humble opinion is that the pie is big enough that we can all have a bite. We can. And if we do it right, we can all eat very well. But there's no room for the animosity or, you know, or, you know, the hate or the shade, as they say, you know, and, and we work for different publications and I think there would have been a time where we would have been looked at as, oh, that's the opposition. You write for yeah. another title, you're the opposition. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that, that there was a time when I think that would have been more prevalent. But now, one of the things, okay, listen, 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 man. One of the things that I appreciate about doing pressers, press launches with you, Wahid, Adam Wahid, uh, Michael Gilbert, and, and, uh, that whole the whole crew that we do that we do uh, launches with is pretty much we show up, we we get the introduction to the bike, we ride, I learn, I I open, I just I I take notes and I learn from you guys and I just it's so much fun. It's like the bands getting back together because you never really know who's showing up to a presser, but. Yeah. When you when we get there and it's like, oh, great, my mans and them are here. It's going to be a great time. It's so much fun. Dude, it's rad. <laughs> it's like it's 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 the best life. You know, it's like that that heavily overused Instagram hashtag living your best life. <laughs> but it is. It is. You know, we really do live a charmed, blessed life. You know, it's yeah. it's I have I look, man, we could be doing anything else in the world and we get to ride bikes and hang out with our friends and uh you know and then we and then we get to give our opinions which is the that's like the icing on the cake you know what sure. i mean absolutely i mean when you you sort of go back to um you know that kind of enemies of the different publications and whatnot but like i think what we now have is 
motorcycle motorcycling around the world is shrinking. Like we all know that the, the industries are not what they were globally, locally, you know, whatever you want to call it from what they were 10 years ago. They're certainly not what they were 20 years ago. And so we have to, everyone's kind of got to stick together. We've got to make sure that, you know, everyone gets a slice of it, it gets a slice of that pie you were talking about, that everyone can be a part of the industry because the last thing you want to do right now is get rid of people. You want right. more like doesn't matter where they come from just get them in like get them addicted to bikes get them making content get them to do whatever it is that they want to do because that will just only benefit motorcycling in the end and then there's always going to be that pie just keeps getting bigger and you know just keeps feeding itself i almost feel in complete heart in complete harmony with what you're saying i feel that we almost serve the purpose of as a lifeline as a lifeline for the industry. Do you know what I mean? Like we, we need each other and we need the industry, but the industry needs us. Yeah. Well, the industry needs journalism. Um, and not just, I'm trying to try and come up with the right words here. Like, just you know, speak it. Say it, speak with your chest, say it from your yeah, soul, yeah. brother. Just say it. Put that out. Yeah. No, you, you've got to be honest and you got to say your piece and all that. Sometimes people don't like that. Um, a lot of the times, you know, this is the funny thing too. We actually live in a really, really good time in the industry because there's not a lot of crap stuff out there. Like it makes, you know, objective journalism rather difficult. Um, you, you go to a BMW S1000 RR world press intro or, you know, ZX10 or whatever it is that you're doing, that's the best of the best putting their best foot forward. So, right. like, you got to be careful about how you critique stuff. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I went to the Aprilia um, RSV4 1100 intro a couple of weeks ago in Mugello in Italy. And, I mean, like, that's a complete pinch yourself. And I was like, I can't believe I'm getting the boots. <laughs> right. You know, like, I look at I look at what a shithead I was as a kid <laughs> to do this polluting. <laughs> so it's like you go, but it then becomes very difficult to. You got to be honest with your readers. You got to say you say what you think, and you, there's a there is a line to to balance here. And this is where like some of the guys that are just doing it for fun and then just go out and slam bikes. And I've seen this so many times where they unfairly slam bikes, and that drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, where guys will go out there and just critique stuff just to say that they say the truth when really it's all bullshit. No, you're um, right. You're right. You know, it, it, I've seen that and that's not my approach to journalism. My, my personal approach is I look for the best, as you said, the best of the best. So I look to express the, the experience, experiencing the best of the best. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I, I, I don't like that, you know, uh, well, this could I don't like I'm just, I don't really curse on my show. Feel free to. But I'm going to keep it 100. I don't like the bullshit of I don't I don't like it when they just you, you said it. You know, they say things because they feel as though that that's what needs to be said. And I don't think there's any room for it, particularly when you're looking at the technology of the machines that are coming out right now. There's not a lot wrong. The most the most crit- critical thing I can say is that because I'm a bigger guy, I'm a bigger rider, that I have to find my sweet spot in the seat. That's pretty much the, the, the sure. most horrible thing that I have to say is that oftentimes I'm a big man on a smaller bike. That's pretty much the worst that I have to say. <laughs> yeah, like 
you know, everyone, I mean, this is a good thing about having motor journalism as in the state that it is now is that everyone can express their opinion and, you know, everyone is entitled to their own opinion as well. Um, you know, the, the number one rule I was taught from... Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. This is a, this is a critical, critical Renning signature rule. I just want everybody listening to Life in the Fast Lane to understand that my brother Rennie is about to drop some knowledge and go. Um, so Jeff Ware was my first editor. Um, yeah, he runs a website called bikereview.com.au now. Yeah, very, very experienced guy. He's been doing it for nearly 30 years now. The first thing that he said to me um, is you can criticize anything you want, but if you can't back up your criticisms, like, like properly back them up, then people are just going to write you off. Right. And, and I've seen that a lot uh, over the years with – you know, people that have come and gone and a lot of the times people will overly critique stuff just to try and get a rye out of people and, you know, make them kind of go, oh, he's better badass and all that kind of stuff. And I guarantee you those people do not last. Like I've seen it so, so many times, man. Like, yeah, it's just, that's just how it is. You know, it's, it's that. And I also feel like they're trying to get their, their word count up. So it's like oh, yeah. they just keep talking. Talking about things, just to oh, you know now 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 you're at a thousand words because you found things to say. Not nece- yeah, okay. not necessarily, but the bottom line is if something shit, say it shit, but back it up. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, that, and, and and is that and now? How do you apply that approach? Let's say walk walk me through if you could walk me through your approach to oppressor. Okay, so. Uh, I mean, the first is you always have to research whatever it is that you're writing, um, depending on how um, the man, the certain the manufacturer it is, whoever it is that you are dealing with, they will often give you you know pre-press kind of information just so that you can do a bit of you know background check on the bike and and especially with something like say the RSV4, it certainly helps to know the history of the bike over the 10 years that it's been here and what's changed, what has it and why they changed it and whatever. Because the best thing about these intros is that you get access to the guys who built the bike. Um, you know, you particularly, the, I mean, the world intros, sometimes with the American, like local intros, it can be, um, you, you have guys that were involved in the, some of the development and things like that. But if you go to a European or a Japanese launch, um, most of the time, you know, the dude who drew up the engine is there. The dude who did the suspension is there. The guy who did the frames there. And those guys are just an absolute wealth of knowledge. So, you know, you want to make sure that you hit all those guys. Um, you know, you obviously go there and ride the thing as hard as you possibly can. Um, you know, they, there's, you don't want to crash the thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't want to, you don't want to be that guy. Don't worry, I've been that guy more times than I want to admit. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not a good feeling. <laughs> but, um, you certainly know. I mean, the number, probably the biggest thing, the number one rule in terms, in terms of writing when you go to one of these intros is just don't write over your head yeah. because there's guys that are there, you know, like we did the V4 Panigale launch, uh, the V4S Panigale launch, world launch in um, Valencia last year. And, you know, I was on track. You know, I feel like I can ride okay, but I was riding on track with guys like James Hayden, who's mm. ex-British Superbike, ex 
500 GP. Um, you know, I can't remember. There's a couple of other guys that were there, but James Hayden came past me like I was standing still. And, <laughs> you know, you get the red mist down, you're like, all right, cool, let's go for it. And with two corners, he has just absolutely effed off. And um, so I'm just like, you know what, i got to pull this back a little bit and uh, and just enjoy it for what it is. And, now, wait, uh, now, 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 I, you know, we don't throw shade at Life in the Fast Lane, but I heard that somebody wadded up a V4 on that line. Oh, yeah. Oh, three of them from what I remember. Yeah, there's a gnarly clip on YouTube. Like, you know, listeners, you've got to check this. I don't know if it's been taken down or not, but there was – so there was one guy – so when you go to these launches, there's usually – they usually lob like three or four um, different countries in together. Um, I can't remember who was in our – I tell you, it it was the US and the Brits, and I can't remember who the other one was, like Italian or French or whoever it was. Um, one of those guys crashed one, um, and then it was just a low side, nothing big. But then there was like two days later, cause this launch went on for three or four days. Um, there was a, so if you know the Valencia circuit where that little back straight is, um, and then you've got the, the 180 degree left hander and then it goes into a little tiny little straight and then a fast chicane. One guy went up the inside of another guy going into that fast chicane and the guy, on the outside, didn't see him, clattered into him. Oh, Both wow. bikes just completely just into the gravel trap, you know, end for end for end. Like, and the amazing thing is the guy behind them caught it all in his dash camera. Wow. So, like, if you – I don't know what the actual, um, you know, search thing is, but it's like V4 Panigale test crash Valencia or something like that. Wow. It's there. You'll find it. It's like – and at that point, I don't think any of them had been crashed. <laughs> so, it's a pretty sort of horrible honor to have for yourself. <laughs> it's like you look. My grandmama told me, "Don't ever be the first person to do anything." Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it was pretty full on, but you know these things happen, and you know that's um, that's just how it goes these days, unfortunately. So you, so you, okay, so you go, you ride the bike as hard as you can within your limits. Um, and then what, how do you process the data from, I mean, cause there's a, a lot of people, it's not just go ride, but while you're riding, you have to collect data cause you have to write about what you just wrote. So how mm-hmm. do you process that information? Well, usually I'll go back into the hotel afterwards and, um, well, actually no, back, backtrack to that. I've got a little voice recorder on my phone, um, as everybody does. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and I'll just take like some voice notes um, you know, I might go for five minutes, whatever. Usually I'll, I'll have a bike. Um, everyone, obviously everyone has a bike there and I'll just do a bit of a walk around and say, this is cool, that's cool, whatever. Um, and then I'll go back up to the hotel at the end of the night and, or at the end of the day, um, then do a bunch of notes, um, just of what I thought and where the bike was different here and good there. And certainly helps if I'd written previous iterations of it, that that's always really good. Um, just get your notes down. Uh, make sure that I've still got those interviews um, with the designers and you know the the test riders. You know, like Alessandro Valia, who was the guy who developed the V4, um, also developed the last editions of the Panigale V Twin and all that stuff. I mean, that guy is just a gem uh, to go and sit there and just pick his brains. And and he's also very good to talk to him before you go and ride the thing because he'll sort of explain okay, we changed this and it feels like this. Um, you know, this is the guy who spends 
hours upon hours upon hours developing these bikes. No one knows those bikes better than Alessandro for for him, and then other obviously other guys for different manufacturers. So you go and talk to them and make sure you got those interviews down. And I have this wonderful woman called uh, Kelly Broderick in New York. So shout out to Kelly, who I'll who I just send all my uh, stuff to. So I'll dump like an <laughs> hour and a half's worth of interviews onto her and say, "Can I have that transcribed, please?" <laughs> And then she just like pumps it out and then I've just got 10,000 words worth of stuff and then then the process begins and I nut everything back down and form form a bit of a, you know, program as to how I'm going to write the story and then you have the video on top. So there's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's definitely a it's, – it's, while it's a lot of fun, there is a tremendous amount of work that goes in to, you know, getting it to a place where it can be published. Um, and then, of course, you know, being on pressers with my brother, Rennie, I, you know, there's, of course, the how do, what do we call when we what do we have a name for when we regroup usually in the hotel lobby slash bar area after we've worked so hard? We've written so hard during the day and then we wrap it all up. And, and at a certain point, we typically find ourselves at a bar yeah. at some yeah, point. It's the um, compulsory hydration session. Wait, say it again. Say it again. It's the compulsory what? The compulsory hydration session. Love it. Yeah. This is where everybody uh, gathers together at the end and the CHS, you know, the CHS. I love it. CHS, exactly. So, and that's um, you know, that's always one of the good ones. And you know, to, uh, to, as you were saying before, if you have a, a good crew of guys there, it's it's always a good laugh. And um, yeah, I mean that's you know that's it. That's that's part of the fun of of the gig. And you know, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't feel like I had the best job in the world. Um, it's it's, uh, it's pretty cool, but um, yeah, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> now, I want to shift gears slightly, uh, actually majorly, because you're not just a moto journalist. You are a professional racer and you um, have facts, facts, <laughs> big facts, big facts. And you have a uh, a, a race coming up. Let's let, let's talk about Pikes Peak. The hill climb. Let's talk about it. And for yep. those listening that don't, that aren't familiar with uh, the Pikes Peak hill climb, this thing is just amazing. You can Google it. You can uh, you YouTube it. This is just something different. It's not road course. You're actually. It's not like circuit racing. This is you are racing against time and correct me if I'm wrong but you're racing against time up a mountain elevation changes weather changing uh, everything changes but you're racing against time is that correct yeah yeah so you're not racing uh, bar to bar um, yeah, racing bar to bar that thing would not be ideal even though they used <laughs> to do it the crazy buggers back in the day um, yeah, I mean, the, the race has been going for over 100 years. It's actually the second oldest uh, motorsport event, so cars and bikes, um, just behind the Indy 500. Um, so, yeah, it's bikes have been working, have been going there on and off. Uh, they wouldn't, the, the motorcycles weren't there originally, as far as I'm aware, um, back in the really early days, and they sort of come on and come off and, and whatever. And 
Um, and yeah, the hill was, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the hill was, uh, mountain was paved. I think it was finished in 2012, I'm going to say. Um, so paved bottom to top, whereas the actual race prior to that was, uh, for a few years, it was half dirt, half road, and prior to the half road, it was all dirt. Um, so that was where a lot of the guys, a lot of the motocross guys, the enduros, the Dakar guys, you know, they all had to go up that place. And, and that's where you see all the old iconic footage of the you know, Group B rally cars, like sending the thing in sideways on the edge of the cliff with massive amounts of dust hanging off them. And so the race, the race has changed a lot. Um, I certainly wouldn't do it if it was dirt. <laughs> no, <laughs> now, is it, now the race itself is in Colorado, correct? Yes, in Colorado Springs. And how long have you, uh, what's your history with the race? Because you've competed in it several, a few times, would you say a few? How many? Uh, This is going to be my fourth year this year. So, um, yeah, I've had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the (laughs) class. I um, I screwed it up in 2016. Um, like, I mean, you never really know with that place, but I messed up and put the thing into the, into the wall, into the guardrail, which, um, when I sort of look back on it with a bit of hindsight was kind of about winning the lottery as far as crashes go at that place. Cause most of the time, if you crash up there, you never, you don't get up. And, um, so yeah, I was very lucky. Like I hit the guardrail, uh, at a I don't know how quick I was going. I was in fourth gear when I got back on the thing and um, it sort of hit, but I managed to slow down enough where I managed to hit the guardrail and just flip over the edge of it and I landed on the sort of little area between the guardrail and the cliff and um, and I managed to get back on it and get going again, but I lost 27 seconds or something or other and I lost the race by, I think it was about 15. Um, so that uh, sucked tremendously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would imagine. Um, yeah. what, what elevation do you achieve? Like, what do you, what's the highest that, I mean, the uh, climb itself, how high up are you going? Uh, so you start at 9,000, I think it's 9,000 feet and the race itself finishes at 14 and a half thousand feet. So, um, yeah, you, you want to make sure that you're drinking plenty of water. Um, cause it, the, Altitude get doesn't affect you quite as much if you have a seriously hydrated system. Um, although I've had plenty of times where I've been up there in practice, where um, you know we, we get on the mountain at you know we we probably on there by three in the morning, um, and we we set up from three till four thirty in the morning, and then first practice is at what, bloody five o'clock or five thirty or whatever it is, like first light on top of the mountain. Um, and then you're off and, and riding, but you're actually you're up at altitude at say twelve, thirteen thousand feet. You're up there for four or five hours, and if you're not hydrated, you definitely get you know altitude a little touch of altitude sickness, or you get can get you can get pretty bad headaches and that kind of stuff. But as long as you take the precautions, then it's it's all good. Yeah, and it's, um, it's a pretty magical place to be at five thirty in the morning. I'll tell you that. <laughs> do you do you prepare? I mean, I mean, mentally, I mean, it's, it's, ah, it's to ask you how you prepare for an event like that. I mean, I don't know. Is, is there preparation other than the, the typical, you know, staying hydrated? Is there a workout regimen? Do you mentally, uh, visualize yourself running? Like what? And you've had obviously having 
had run the race prior, so you know what to expect. But what what do you put yourself through? Like, how do you how does Rennie get ready? A um, lot of cycling, um, so that I get decent cardio uh, health. Because um, obviously, as you're going up in elevation, the oxygen is getting less and less. So you want to make sure that you have you know strong old lungs um, to make sure that you can handle. Because you get to the top of the race, because you only ever you only ever do one go of the lap. Like in practice, we do them in sections, but racing is only like you know. It's put, put your nuts in the line and go for for only one chance. So you want to. By the time you get to the top, I mean, I'm pretty puffed. The race is only ten minutes long, but um, you know it's the most intense ten minutes I've ever had. Um, mm. So you, you in that time you can forget to regulate your breathing and and you're going up and up and up at a fairly serious rate in comparison to how you would be if you were climbing it for example or if you were on your bicycle or whatever it is so you you want to make sure that you you got good lung uh, health um yeah like just i mean yeah i mean the other thing is just ride as much as possible like just get out do miles right whatever it is just get on track and just push 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 you know get the brain up to speed because that's the big thing like the reaction time as you know with riding a bike is everything and it's um it's elevated uh shall we say excuse the the pun but uh, it's, <laughs> it's elevated at pike's peak you want to make sure that you've got your reactions are all right there and and you don't make any mistakes what is in, in your four races what was your best finish uh so i finished fourth in the that one year in 2016 and then 2017 i finished second to my uh, teammate and good friend Chris Fillmore, um, who just sent it like no one has ever sent it up that hill, where he broke the record, and and we were both riding for for KTM. I've, I've ridden for KTM for the previous three years, um, and he broke the record with a nine forty nine six. I'm pretty sure it was, and and so I, I got second to him, which you know I wasn't upset at all. Um, I really felt that the better man won that one. And, um, so that was, that was really cool to get KTM a one two. And, uh, unfortunately last year I missed out, uh, again, um, I finished second to Carl and Dunn by 0.6 of a second after, uh, 10 minutes up there, which really sucked. Cause that was the, mm. that was the, um, I think that was the closest finish that race has ever had car or bike i'm pretty sure so wow. um i mean I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's what it was. i'm sure someone told me that but yeah i mean look yeah at the end of the day Colin dunn beat me um he the we had the same conditions um the better man won so um so that's all good but i, I you know in my time that i've been doing it i've sort of become a bit more philosophical about it and realized how lucky i am to be able to do that kind of stuff so you know, I'm going back there this year, but this year I'm riding for Aprilia um, in Aprilia USA. So we've built a, a pretty pretty hot Tuono, uh, Tuono 1100 factory, which is a, a pretty special bike in standard trim, let alone after what we've done to it. So it's going to be it's going to be good. And you know, we've got new we've got sponsors back on board again with um, Pirelli, uh, who are the title sponsor basically for the team, and uh, and we've got uh, help from. Brembo, we've got help from Akrapovich, 
uh, all kinds of guys. So it's been Dane Easy and AGV have, have hopped on as well, and and Cycle News, obviously my employers. So it's we're we're going to have a good good crack this year, but it's going to be tough because there's there's a lot of quick people coming there this year. <laughs> is is the game plan? Have you with your experience? Have you adjusted your game plan for this year's race? Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say adjust the game plan as such. It's more. Uh, I mean, I know what it takes to go fast there. It's just, um, I mean, I've, there's a million videos online of, of where you, where the thing goes and, and you always want to find the latest video online uh, because it is effectively the, a forest on the side of the mountain. You can never use the same braking markers, for example, that you used the previous year because that tree might be not mm. there, rock might have been moved or whatever it is. So you you still want to make sure you find the, the latest possible video. Um, and that's the thing, like I just watch videos uh, relentlessly. Um, so I'll, I'll get into that. There's uh, the PlayStation game, which is uh, the Sebastian Loeb, uh, PlayStation game from a few years ago when when the French rally legend broke the outright lap record. Um, uh, Sony did a PlayStation game for him, and so that's what I've been using a lot um, just to familiarise myself with where it goes. It doesn't tell you the uh, elevation, and it sure as shit doesn't tell you the bumps because they're just gnarly. Um, you think you think Kota MotoGP is wild? We should ride up that bloody place. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your so your game plan obviously is always to win. And you know, I what I can appreciate about what you just said is that your philosophy on competing has changed because it's you know you 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 know you feel and you and I just. You are, you know, we are in this position where we get to do things that the normal person, let alone the normal rider, does not get to participate in or experience. Would you give, do you have any advice for anybody who would be interested, and let's just say maybe not Pikes Peak just yet, but what advice would you offer to someone who says, you know what, I have an interest in that. I think I'd like to give it a go, even if it's circuit racing, even if, you know, all the way up to Pikes Peak. What advice would you give? Do it. Do it. Just do, do it. it. Just do it, mate. <laughs> like the, the best thing about riding bikes is riding bikes. Um, you know, I mean, I've wait, been riding. Wait, I need, wait, Randy, I need you to say that part again. Say it one more again. The best thing about riding bikes is riding bikes. Thanks. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just thought that was great and uh, important. No, I mean, like I've been riding. I didn't get my first bike. I was, I got my first bike when I was five, and I was riding for a couple of years prior to that on friends' bikes and whatever. And uh, I mean, that's the thing. Like you, you ride because you enjoy it. And if if you wanted to, if you want to go racing, I mean, I think racing is for me. Uh, a friend of mine told me this years ago. He goes, racing is the only time where I don't think about anything else. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's absolutely right in that. I can promise you anytime I'm actually racing and all I'm worried about is the guy behind or the track in front, you don't have time to think about anything else. There's, it's kind of a nice pure feeling, but the, you know, if you want to go racing, man, do it. Like it's safer than sending it on the road. That's for sure. Um, you know, go and you know, the thing that I, where I recommend to, to people starting out is, um, if they're of the right stature to get on little bikes, to get on, 
like a Ninja 400 to get on an R3 to get on a KTM 390, like a race prepped one, and then go out and see if you can make one of those things work because, you know, those things take a lot of skill and it's pretty humbling when a 16-year-old just comes around the outside and flips you off and distance, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as much as I love bikes, but I love riding little bikes. Like I rode Jeremy Toy's Ninja 400 last year and I haven't had that much fun racing a motorbike in years. It is so sick. So what's your like, favorite? What's your favorite track, man? Um, oh, geez. Um, right, give me top three. Give me top three. Okay. Uh, internationally, yes. I have to say, well, I got to put Phillip Island up there because it's Phillip Island. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the home track. Um, you know, the, like Phillip Island is one of those circuits where it's like. Yeah, that that's I've never been able to go good there. Uh, I don't have the balls to make that thing really work because it's so fast all the time. On a superbike, it's it's full on. Um, you know, that's you ever watch the MotoGP race there at Phillip Island? It's almost it's almost always a good race because it's not very technical, so it always allows people to catch up and get into it. So yeah, anyway, Phillip Island. Um, I got to say, Laguna Seca. Mm. Um, I love Laguna Seca. I think that is such a rad circuit. Um, I always thought that the best circuits around the world were designed on napkins. You know, like, Yo, that's so great. It's just like I was going to design this little, yeah, little kink right here, little chicane. Yeah, you can imagine like two guys down at the pub that are like, yeah, man, let's just do this here and do that there. And, you know, like you go and ride circuits like Valencia and all that that were designed on a computer and they just have such a sterile feel. Whereas something like Valencia's old school, oh, sorry, uh, Laguna Seca's old school and, you know, it's a, and it's a rad place. Like it the seems air- more organic. Yeah, exactly. You know, they looked at the side of a hill and went, screw it, let's put it there. And, <laughs> Off they went, and they just happened to build a, an amazing circuit. Um, so yeah, there's that. I think um, I think in Europe, I've got to put Mugello. Okay. Um, yeah, Mugello in in Italy is one of the world's great racing circuits. Um, I mean, when you see where it is in these in the nestled in like the Tuscan countryside, like it's surrounded by vineyards, um, you just can't believe that. A circuit of, geez, I'm getting goosebumps talking about this. Like, um, you just can't believe like a circuit like that exists and where it exists. It's so bloody beautiful and and it's just such a gnarly circuit. Like, it's so fast on that front straight. Like, you, you're going down the front straight and you click six gear in an RSV4 and you're like, it's that it's that quick, and then you come over the brow of the hill, and the thing picks up speed. So the thing's doing two ninety eight, two ninety nine k an hour, and then it goes over the brow of the hill, and it goes three hundred, three hundred one, two, three four, and then bang onto the brakes, and it's like, dude, if that doesn't get your heart going, nothing will. Yeah. That, that that just sounds righteous. That just sounds so righteous, man. Yeah, um, <laughs> dude, like what? You know, we we I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I I and again. Oh, no. You know, Black Moses is so privileged and, and, and blessed to have the great running uh, on life in the fast lane. You know, I want to uh, if you've, you've listened to the show, so you sure. know that before we wrap up, we go to the Super Bowl uh, yeah. portion of the yeah. show. 
Um, are, are you right? You're familiar. So are you, should we just jump right into it? Can we do that? Sure. Okay. Question one, Tupac or Biggie? Uh, Tupac. Any particular reason? Uh, California love. <laughs> Great answer. I live in California. Man. Great answer. Great answer. No need to go further on that one. Great answer. Um, <laughs> question number two, whiskey or vodka? Vodka. Woo, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. Love me a good vodka. I had you pegged wrong on that one. I mean, I'll, I'll trust me. I'll drink both. But uh, <laughs> if there's some, if there's some of that good rusky stuff lying around, man, yeah, yeah you can count me in for sure. <laughs> you know, I almost, I almost made that a three, a three year question where I was going to do whiskey, vodka or beer. But, uh, uh would you, if I had put beer in there, would you have opted for the beer? Would you have stuck Probably to the Probably would have gone for the beer, yeah. Ah, I, should have, I should have threw that beer I, in there. I'm, yeah, I, I'm impartial to all three. I mean, you could give me a glass of champagne and I'll be happy. Attaboy, <laughs> attaboy. Okay. Final question in the Super Bowl. If you could take a ride with anyone alive, no longer with us, mythological, biblical, fictional, Hmm. Who would you take a ride with? John Lennon. <laughs> wait a second. Wait. Okay. All right. So John Lennon. Yeah. What would you ride and where would you ride to? We would take... John Lennon. That's a good answer. Go ahead. Uh, we would take probably adventure bikes, I'd say. Okay. Um, and maybe go hit up probably go hit up the Rockies or something like that, um, you know, get right out there and, um, you know, go find some some cool old school pubs or bars in the middle of nowhere and sit there and, you know, rap about the world basically. Any particular reason, John Lennon, do you have a, a John Lennon, you know, connection or? Not, not entirely. I just think that, I mean, from a writing point of view, um, I think – when he penned the song Imagine, um, you know, I think that's probably the most prophetic song ever written. And mm. I would love to you know, understand the mindset that he was in when when that came out uh, or when those words were, were put down because, you know, I think it's not just, it's not a song that's just ahead of its time. Like it's, it is how I believe the world should be. Um, but you know, that's, you know, that, that's my personal opinion on it. I think like he's, I think he was, uh, was a bit of a prophet kind of a guy in a way, you know, in a weird yeah. sort of kind of way. But like, yeah, I mean, I was never an enormous fan of his music, but I think the, um, you know, the impact that he had on pop culture and social culture and all that kind of stuff, I think was, uh, was still, extremely felt now these decades after his death. So I think you'd be a pretty interesting guy to have a beer with. You know, I just, I just had a vision of, of young running when you threw that letter of resignation grenade into the office and you turned and you walked and you never looked back. The song, the soundtrack is imagine all <laughs> as you walk out and there's like explosions and everything and you're just walking into the future walking <laughs> in to the next part of your life i think that that is amazing
That's great, man. <laughs> uh, you're a good man, Black Moses. I love you, dude. I love you too, man. Is there anybody that you want to say hello to, give thanks to, any shouts or salutes that you want to do? Um, man, well, uh, I, it would be remiss of me not to give a shout out to Paul Carruthers and Sean Finley, who's my boss, and, and Kit Palmer, um, Sonny, all the guys and girls that work at Cycle News. Um, you know, they they are the reason that I've been allowed to live in this grand country. Um, you know, it was a bit of a twist of fate that I ended up here, uh, but look, I'm I'm so pumped. Um, you know, this is such an amazing country to live in. Uh, the people, are fan- people everywhere have been fantastic. I've met so many friends and, and made such great connections and, and had a really, really great time. But none of it would have happened uh, without Paul Carruthers, uh, you know, basically jousting for me and getting me a job and and uh, making me pack my, mine and my wife's lives into two suitcases and then getting on a plane. So, yeah, you know, things like uh, you never know if you never go. So it's been a, it's been a good time so far. And, and where can I love Paul? Paul Paul Carruthers is my dude, man. I love that guy. Um, where can listeners uh, follow you on social media and keep up with what's going on with Pikes Peak? Uh, yeah, so probably the best place to find me is on Instagram. Um, it's under Renski thirty three R E N S K I thirty three. Um, gonna run actually. Uh, in, in, side side note on Pikes Peak, I'm actually gonna run number thirty four. This year, because that was my dad's number. So, oh, that's great. So, yeah, my grandpa's 35, dad's 34, I'm 33. So, um, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to put one digit on the road and hope to take one digit off the finishing position. <laughs> I love it. I love but, it. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, probably the best place on Instagram. I don't really uh, mess around a lot on Twitter these days. And, yeah. you know, I haven't really in a while. So, probably the best place is Instagram. When, and when is Pikes Peak? Race this year is June 30, so June 30, Sunday, I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, let me have a look here. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Sunday, June 30. Uh, however, I suppose the festival um, of, of what well, is effectively Pikes Peak, it is a festival, um, it goes for the whole previous week. Um, and then on if anyone is in Colorado Springs for, for the race, that Friday, so the 28th, uh, yeah, yeah, twenty eighth. I think it's, it's uh, the fanfare is what they call the fan fest, um, and it's a huge uh, street party that they have. It's super cool. Like they have you know thirty, forty thousand people, and all the competitors line all the streets, and you know we have a big setup, all the bikes, all the cars, sign autographs, and do all that kind of stuff. And it's a it's a really really cool thing to experience. But yeah, yeah hey, it's a if anyone's down there, we'll be under the Aprilia tent. Come on and uh, say good day, and um, yeah, let's have a chat. My brother Rennie, I'm I'm so excited for you, man. Uh, and you know, you're you're just one of those guys that I just I dig. I love you. You're my brother, and uh, you enrich my life, my dude. You really do. I'm Thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm oh yeah for sure, man. We're family. We're family. Um, Rennie, you're going to go kick that mountain's ass this year, okay? And uh, just, I'm excited for you. Thanks for hanging out with me, man. Good, man. Thanks for having us, man. Really appreciate it. Always. I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, man. Later. Cheers. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out Life in the Fast Lane with your boy, Mr. Black Moses. Please make sure that you are following the show 
on Instagram at Life in the Fast Lane Official, on Twitter at LITFL Official, and on Facebook at Life in the Fast Lane Podcast. Please hit that like, hit that share, and of course, hit that subscribe button. We'll be right back here next Friday with an all new episode of Life in the Fast Lane, hosted by me, your boy, Mr. Black Moses. I'm gone. This is a Landry Football Quick Fix on Radio Influence. What's going on right now inside these draft meetings? Um, it's, as we've said last week and explained, it's position-by-position meetings. Now, we're getting down towards the finish of those. Um, each team, uh, as we're close to a week out, we're about down the last couple of positions. So, as we mentioned last week, once you get done with your position boards, then that's when you really start right about in the next day or two into the real deep dive in the 150 board. Essentially, what you do is you take a hard look, make sure that your vertical boards are set up correctly with all the information, you're comfortable with the grading, and then you really go through the painstaking process of who you think the best players are in terms of your grade. Well, it's pretty simple, right? You take the best players. How many 7-0s do you have? None? Okay, how many 6-9s? Got two? All right, got two. Who do we think is better? Let's put one versus two. And then you've got the, the – let's say you've got, as I do, 21 6-5 grades. All right, now the work begins. All right, who do you think's the best of these group and why? In essence – who would you take? The Landry Football Podcast with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.